Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the show about Titanic. This is your host Edward and today we are going to talk about Belfast and more specifically the people who lived in Belfast and worked in the shipyard. It is going to be an amazing episode so stay tuned until the end. Hello Professor Jennifer, are you ready to start the interview? Yes I am. Okay, I'm ready and you're ready, so let's start this interview. Excellent. Okay, so can you tell us a bit about yourself and your background? Absolutely. So my name is Jennifer Regan Lefebvre, and I am a history professor. So I teach at a college. I currently teach at Trinity College, which is in Hartford, Connecticut. And I don't think of myself as a Titanic expert, but more generally as an expert on Britain and Ireland in the 19th and 20th centuries. So my mom and dad, they went to Trinity College in Dublin. Mmm, not the same thing. Yep. That one was established by Queen Elizabeth, I think. That sounds about right. Trinity College Dublin is a very old institution. It's five or six hundred years old. There are lots of places called Trinity. Trinity College in Hartford was established in the early 19th century. There's also, I think, a Trinity University, and there are Trinity Colleges in Oxford and Cambridge in England. So it does get a bit confusing. Yeah. Okay, so you're in a documentary about building the Titanic. Can you tell me a bit about that? Absolutely. I was the historical consultant and presenter for a History Channel documentary about the building of the Titanic. And we filmed that in November and December of 2007. And we filmed most of it on site in Belfast, in the docks, in the old Harland and Wolf semi-derelict buildings, and in some other spaces around Belfast, like uh, the Belfast City Hall. And we also filmed a bit in Annick in Northumberland in England, which is where there is a hotel that has some of the original features and fittings from ships like the Titanic. And I was what they call the talent, which is kind of funny. And I always thought they were kind of making fun of me when they used that word. But I was the talent. So I was the historian who was trying to guide the viewers through the process of making the Titanic. And it amazes me to this day that people still find this documentary, because it's been 12 years now. And they watch it, and they send me emails asking me questions about the Titanic. And I never imagined that would happen. So it's been really fun. Okay, so um, what do you think it was like to live in, like, the shadow of the shipyard? Like, what do you think it would have been like to live if you were a worker at Harland & Wolf? Okay, that's a great question. So everybody knows that the Titanic sank and that 1,500 people died, and it was a horrible, horrible wreck. But a lot of people haven't thought about what it was like to actually create the Titanic. So Harland & Wolf is the company that owns the shipyard in Belfast. And in the documentary, I'm shown walking down some of the streets in East Belfast, which is the part of the city that was close to the docks where the Titanic was built. And most of those workers' houses are what's called um, terraced houses in the UK. And that means they're built right next to each other, so they share walls in between. And most of them now are 
you know, rented by two or three or four people living in them. But it would have been quite a bit more crowded in the early 20th century. People had lots less expectation of personal privacy. So sometimes you would have had families that were much larger, five, six, seven, even eight people in some fairly small spaces. But the buildings in Belfast were actually pretty cheap to rent compared to a lot of other parts of the United Kingdom. And that was really important for Belfast because the work that they were doing at the shipyards was really specialized. And they didn't always have very skilled workers who were already living in Belfast. So the low cost of living to move to Belfast and to rent or buy a house, to pay for food, all those basics, that was a lot cheaper than in other parts of England. And that helped Belfast to attract some good workers. Okay, so back in the 1800s, Belfast's harbour was really just a muddy swamp. So do you know why Harland and Wolf located their shipyard in Belfast like they could locate it anywhere else? I'm like, why in a muddy swamp? That's a great question. Belfast is a natural harbour, but it's not a really big one. There are better natural harbours in other parts of the United Kingdom, in the north of England in particular. So it wasn't the most obvious place to locate a huge shipbuilding enterprise. But there were a lot of efforts by the local government to expand the dock area and to you know, incentivize, we would say, companies to come and work there to basically make them offers to say, hey, if you come here, we'll, we have lots of benefits for you. Um, Harland and Wolf also had other shipyards, so it wasn't the only one that they had in Belfast. But I think they saw it as a place where they could get what they needed quite easily in terms of labor. Even if they didn't have it in Belfast, they could recruit people from not too far away. There wasn't a lot of competition in Belfast at the time because there weren't other big shipbuilders who were going to knock them out, whereas there was more competition in other British harbors. And it just seemed like a new and exciting venture. And it, it worked out for them. And they specialized in the kinds of ships that they built and the kinds of people that they recruited. So I think if they had just been building other kinds of ships, it wouldn't have worked out as well if they were doing a lot of cargo ships, for example. Um, I think it's important to understand that around about 1910, the United Kingdom is the biggest shipbuilder in the world. There's some estimates I've read that maybe 25% of the ships that were you know, at float in the ocean were built in the UK. So this was a really big business, and it was, it was really booming in the early 20th century. And the impact is big because Harland & Wolf is the largest single employer in Belfast. They employ about 15,000 people. And Belfast is a city with about, about 350,000 people at the time. And before shipbuilding had become important, Belfast's economy was mostly about linen production and about agriculture. So Harland & Wolf brought in shipbuilding and it created a new kind of economy that was much more uh, technologically skilled. So it was really important. But I think another thing to recognize is that the shipyards didn't benefit everybody in Belfast equally. Belfast has a, a long and um, troubled history of conflict between people of different backgrounds, people who identify themselves as British and are usually Protestant, and people who identify themselves as Irish and are usually Catholic. And the shipyards were overwhelmingly Protestant. So most of the people who worked there were Protestant, and they benefited immensely and were really proud of what they produced. And there were other people in the city who felt that they had been locked out of the shipyards. 
Like that was a good employer, but it wasn't open to them. And there was actually quite a bit of violence in early 20th century Belfast between people of different communities because of the frustrations that they felt. So, like the Easter Rising, was that a show of violence? That is connected. So the Easter Rising takes place a few years after the Titanic sinks. It takes place in 1916 in Dublin. But the ideas are all related together. So, in 1910, there is something called the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland, which includes the whole entire island of Ireland. But there are a lot of people living in Ireland who think they're not well represented through the British government. They think that they're treated as second-class citizens. And most of those people are Catholic. And they have a political movement that's called Home Rule. And what they want is not necessarily to leave the United Kingdom altogether, but to have their own parliament in Dublin. And there's a big movement of people who are putting, you know, legislation together, people who are protesting, people who are writing letters saying, what we need is home rule for Ireland. And for most people who live on the island of Ireland, most of them are Catholic. Most of them think, yeah, we'll have like a much better and more fair representation if we have our own parliament. But for most people who live in Belfast, they're really frightened. So especially people who work for Harland and Wolf because a lot of their economy depends on having access to this British and British empire market, meaning that they build ships and they sell it to other parts of the UK and they're part of the full United Kingdom. So they're worried that if they become part of a semi-independent Ireland, they won't have the same benefits. And they're also worried that if they are part of a semi-independent Ireland, that they'll be discriminated against you know, that they'll be, I don't know, forced to send their kids to Catholic schools and they won't be able to make their own rules. So they're really worried about this. And this is a very, very tense topic in Belfast at the exact same time that the Titanic is being built. So there are protests and there are rallies and demonstrations of people who are for home rule and people who are against home rule. And the actual legislation, so the bill that's produced, goes to Parliament in 1912 saying there's going to be a home rule for Ireland and there's going to be a vote on it. That happens just a few days before the Titanic sinks. So the Titanic is big news in Belfast in 1912, but it's not the only news. People are really worried about what's going to happen to their political futures. That was a very long explanation to your question. That's okay. I really love long explanations. Good, because I got lots of them. Filmed some of the documentary in the derelict drawing rooms at Harland and Wolf, which is actually now a cafe. <laughs> what was it like to enter like the drawing rooms, except minus the benches, minus the people, I'm like minus everything that was in there. Yeah, well, we filmed that in November and December of 2007, and at the time, shipbuilding had basically disappeared from Belfast. So these were really empty buildings. Like you say, they were derelict. There were some broken windows. There were drafts coming in. They were not heated. But it was really cool to be in these huge, what must have been very beautiful spaces that employed thousands of workers. Um, So the people who worked on the designs for ships like the Titanic would have probably stood at large desks 
where they would have done their drafting. They would have worked on making their, you know, nautical and architectural drawings. There was a lot of natural light in the space, which is really important so that you could see what you were working on. And then there were a lot of storerooms. And one of the craziest things I found about being in that building is it felt like it had just been abandoned suddenly. And there was a lot of stuff that was still there that was of historic interest. So I was just going through shelves of paperwork and finding employee files, personnel files, which you really shouldn't know, like, you know, people's address and how much they were paid and so on. But I also found some of the original ship's plans, which were printed on beautiful linen paper. Um, and they were exquisitely and perfectly drawn. And they were just there on the shelves. And if you know anything about Northern Ireland, it doesn't get very cold in the winter. Like they don't get a lot of snow, but it gets quite damp and chilly. And it was amazing that all these documents were in such good condition because I thought they would be all mildewed and gross, but they were actually beautiful. And I think some of them are now in the Titanic Museum in Belfast, which was built on this site that used to be derelict. Interesting. Is there anything else that you think listeners should know? I think I would add that we often think about the tragedy of the Titanic sinking from the point of view of the people who lost their lives. And that's normal. But it was a big source of trauma for the city of Belfast as well. If you think about whether you've ever made something really special, like if you made a birthday cake for a friend and you spent hours on it and it came out beautiful and perfect, and then you were walking over to their house with it and you dropped it. And think about how sad you would be that this masterpiece you'd worked on was destroyed. And then if you multiply that by about 15,000 and take all the workers at Harland and Wolf how they worked for years to create this ship, which was then touted as the biggest and most advanced ship that had ever been made in the world. And then it sank. It was really a source of trauma for a very large community in the city of Belfast. And that's what interests me as a historian, thinking not just why did it sink or what's it doing on the bottom of the ocean, but what did it do to the community that created it? Yeah. So thank you for being on the show about Titanic, Professor. And I hope you have a really good day. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for interviewing me, and best of luck with your podcast. Thank you. There you have it, folks. The show about Titanic is complete. A special thanks to Bua for the music on today's episode. You can find a link to more of their music in the description. Okay, see you on the next episode of the show about Titanic. And make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.